1: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Symbol. Guys, we have a brand new sponsor that you guys are going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your teams win, you can earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the nearly 7,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.symbolsimbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use the promo code SD, as in sports drink, to make your deposit risk-free. Again, that's www.simbull.com and use the promo code SD and your deposit will be risk-free. That means even if you lose money, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams. <coughs> this episode is also brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, the Spotify Green Room is a live audio only sports talk platform. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Get in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast like this one. Download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter and join my group. Follow me at Larry D.E.E. It's uh, I don't know why they didn't let me use D period, but they didn't. So follow me at Larry D.E.E. to be notified when my room goes live every Wednesday, seven o'clock central, eight o'clock Eastern. And join me when we go live every Wednesday night at Club 34 seven. <coughs> What's up, guys? Oh, mid-season review is here. Uh, the Bears are on a much-needed buy, even though it's uh, it's um it's kind of come at a point where I I don't want the Bears to be on a buy right now. After seeing the way that we came back there in the fourth quarter against the Steelers, the progress that we've seen from Justin Fields, combined with the fact that Matt Nagy probably couldn't even take the Buccaneers on a to a victory on a buy uh, after a buy uh, kind of thing, it has me really worried. Uh, not to mention. Uh, the Ravens got killed by the Dolphins, the two and seven Dolphins tonight, and they have to stew on that for ten days before they play us uh, in Chicago. So yeah, I'm not looking forward to this Ravens game at all. I would much rather we were playing whoever we're supposed to be playing this week uh, instead. But um, we're on the bye. We have the the two weeks of uh, of rest uh, to to get ready. Uh, it's come at a good time as far as uh, getting some of our guys healthy hopefully we'll have a healthy Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson back by then uh Akeem Hicks suffered an ankle injury against the Steelers hopefully he'll be good to go uh from that uh as well so Alan Robinson had a hamstring uh I think uh in the in the Steelers game so hopefully this would be a good time for us to get uh healed up so we can be as close to 100% as we can be heading into the stretch run uh in the second half but uh before we can talk about the second half, let's go ahead and talk about the first nine games of this 17 game season, the ups and downs, the frustration of the development of Justin Fields and uh, Matt Nagy holding on to the plan, uh, for as long as he possibly could before he was, in my opinion, instructed to let go of it and, and give the ball to Justin Fields, uh, kind of thing. And, and, and with us as always is, is uh, our good friend, uh, from Locked On Bears, Lauren Cox to help us uh, weed through it, uh, weed through it all. So, uh, for those of you who who are familiar with uh, what happens when Lauren and I get together, you know that uh, we tend to get a little long winded, and we do on this one as well. But uh, the good news is not as long as we usually do. Usually, it's like two hours minimum. Today, we got it over in, in just over ninety minutes. So, uh, and we we pretty much covered everything. I couldn't think of anything that I wanted to talk about uh, afterwards. Uh, other than uh, we didn't talk about uh, mid-firing, mid-season firing scenarios, like if the Bears, uh, I, I think we're destined to lose to Baltimore simply because Nagy never has the Bears ready to play after a bye for whatever reason. And then we have Thanksgiving. Let's play with the worst-case scenario and say we lose to the to the to the Lions on Thanksgiving Day, and that would mean six losses in a row for the second year in a row. We're three and nine. The season is over. You know, the season is over. We're going to have a losing record no matter what. Do we just fire Nagy and move on so that we can start preparing? Remember that NFL rule that we could start interviewing candidates before the end of the season if we fire our head coach during the season. Maybe that will kick in if we've lost six in a row. It's like to hell with it. We've got a losing record. We're not going to make the playoffs even if we win the last five games and go eight and nine. You're not making the playoffs with a record like that. So let's just go ahead and start the future now. Let's start the coaching evaluation process now and and move on. That's the one thing that I didn't get a chance to talk to Lauren about Maybe we'll play with it some uh, at some point, or maybe we'll actually be able to talk about real world scenarios in a couple of weeks. God forbid if the Bears ruin my Thanksgiving holiday by losing to the Lions on Thanksgiving Day. So, uh, but other than that, we we covered everything else that I wanted to uh, talk about, that I wanted to talk to Lauren uh, about, including the future of Ryan Pace and uh, you know if we had, to, should we keep him? Should we let him go? And uh, and all that kind of stuff. We talk about. How the second half of the season could go and play with the scenarios uh, there and looking at the schedule and whatnot. So we cover a lot Um, and uh, it's typical for a for a Dyer and Cox conversation to go a while. So hopefully you guys are comfy. You're ready to go through it. So let's go ahead and get to it. It is the midseason review episode of the Bears Talk Underground with myself and Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears. So let's get to it. So here we are, even in an odd-numbered season, the Bears have somewhat of a mid-season bye week in week number 10, nine games down, eight games to go. So since we're at the midway point or the bye week or whatever we want to call it, of course that means Lauren Cox, our great friend from Locked on Bears, has come back to join us for the annual mid-season review show. Lauren, welcome back, man.
0: It's a tradition unlike any other. I wish I didn't have... Quite this little head cold making me sound just a little bit less uh, less fun to listen to. But we're, we're powering through and enjoying the weekend off of football to
1: recuperate, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, it deepens the voice, makes it sexy for the ladies, for all three of them that listen to this podcast. So, you the know. The nasliness doesn't help too much. though. No, it doesn't. Podcast. That uh, you know, But uh, now that uh, you've brought it to everyone's attention, they'll only be able to hear the nasliness for the rest of the show. So, good just luck trying, with
0: that. Trying to get the elephant
1: in the room right away. How about that? <laughs> All right, so Lauren, it's been an uh, eventful. Would be, I don't think would quite serve the what we're trying to describe here. The first nine weeks of this season. I mean, hell, we can even include uh, the the off season, or actually, not even the off season, but like preseason and into uh, the regular season. It's it's just been just such an odd year uh, for the bears i mean justin fields being on the team has made them a national story pretty much week in and week out which you're just not used to as a professional welder Shayna ford uses forge fx to practice over and over which helps her improve her skills
0: the more muscle memory that you have the smoother your weld is
1: learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact To that the Bears being relevant as far as like the, the the mass media is concerned but they are literally on the lips of all the talking heads day in and day out uh talking about Justin Fields how Nagy's screwing up his development and you know like when he played this past Monday night against the Steelers it you'd almost don't know that the Steelers won the game because all anybody could talk about was how great Justin Fields was
0: yeah, I was thinking that exact same thing. Like it's it's the Bears' loss that's felt most like a win in years. Right. I think, even just like the way I think you and I were both kind of thinking about the game and talking about it afterwards and stuff. Like in general, it's just like the, the the result didn't didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because I think there's this sort of understanding that like yeah, you know, it's the it's the fourth loss in a row and this team is not trending in the playoff direction. So then, well, what does matter is is, is that quarterback and is that long term future and absolutely, it, it felt it really did feel like a win because he had the the what should have been a game winning comeback touchdown drive yeah. ultimately didn't end up winning it but everything that happened afterward didn't really seem to matter from there
1: yeah it it was one of those things and trust me we'll talk about the uh the defense cuz it's an ugly trend that they've been uh you know, giving up the last, uh, you know, three of the last four weeks. And the one week they didn't do it is when we got our heads pounded in 38-3 to against the Buccaneers. But uh, basically, let's just say our last three games pretend Tampa Bay didn't happen the, the, the Bears have done something, you know, offensively. J- Justin Fields has led us to a critical touchdown in the game, and the defense, all they had to do was get a stop to either get us the ball back, like the, like the Green Bay game, uh, get us the ball back to try to take the lead again against San Francisco, or uh, to win the damn game this past Monday against the Steelers. And every time our defense, which has been the more dominant unit traditionally pretty much our my whole life, your whole life, and then some, especially in, in the recent years. And they've let us down each and every time uh, in the last three instances.
0: And it felt like that was what we thought the Bears would be able to rely on this season. Right. Yeah. I mean it was we knew the offense was going to have some bumps along the way with Dalton or Fields, because it was always going to be, you know, a new quarterback and try and get used to everything and that, that you know there's going to be some ups and downs there built in. But but that defense, well that well, that'll be at least the thing they can rely on as their quarterbacks have those ups and downs. And clearly the quarterbacks have had those uh, those fluctuations, but the defense has not been the reliable cane that they could lean on here. That's why they've fallen over four games in a row
1: yeah I mean they they really haven't shown up since the Raider game and that was their last really good solid performance held Derek Carr and and uh the Raider offense to nine points on the road in Las Vegas and you know now people are kind of blowing it off as the well the whole John Gruden email thing happened on Friday and then the Bears played on Sunday so they're almost like writing off the Bears victory because the Raiders may have been you know distracted or emotionally distraught or whatever for us to uh, come away with the win there it's almost like they're blowing off the Bears last victory so far this year
0: and it's a shame too because like even in that even in like the Buccaneers game like yes they gave up 38 points and it was it was a complete one-sided blowout but it, it didn't feel like the defense like overall played terribly awful in the sense that like Buccaneers were always starting with the ball basically in field goal range and right. So- What exactly were you going to expect? It wasn't like Tom Brady, you know, carved them up all day. I mean, he had 211 yards. And I mean, you know what I mean? Like they, yes, the the scoreboard and all that is not going to, is not going to reflect a good defensive performance in any way. But they were, they were holding, they were making things as difficult as they could in some of those
1: moments, just as the offense did them zero favors along the way. Well, you mentioned the scoreboard and that's been something that has been, that was really weird, at least in the first four weeks of the season. Was that the final score didn't really tell the story of how the game actually went? Like the like week one against the the Rams, thirty four to fourteen, it didn't feel like they beat us by twenty points uh, on Sunday Night Football. I mean, obviously the two big plays, uh, you know, that were the touchdowns—the one where uh, Eddie Jackson and Deshaun Gibson thought they were still in college and didn't uh, touch Van Jefferson when he caught the ball, and then Cooper Cup being wide open by 15 yards in any direction uh, for that other touchdown. But as far as like the Rams dominating the bears for a 34 to 14 victory, it didn't feel that way. Fast forward to week two, the bears hang on to beat the Bengals 20 to 17. That game did not feel that close. Fast forward to Cleveland the week after that, 26 to 6, nine sacks, 47 yards of total offense. They should have lost 126 to 6, by the way, we played uh, on offense. And then finally, the Lions game, 24 to 14. I feel like we, you know, like 24 to 7 feels more appropriate for how that game went. And it's been such a strange trend that the Bears have had. This year that it doesn't really seem like the scoreboard is telling the story. And when I did my my knee jerk reactions this past Monday for the Raiders game or excuse me, the Steelers game at halftime, I was saying it's it's 14 to three on the scoreboard, but it doesn't feel like it's 14 to three on the field like they just showed graphics before halftime. The Bears were winning the game everywhere except on the scoreboard. I mean, it's just been so weird how this season has been going for the Bears. Yeah, it just seems
0: like it's a, a reflection of,
1: you know, a, a lot
0: of the little things not going right, whether it's yeah. the penalties, the self-inflicted mistakes, or the, you know, little turnover, or like things like that individually aren't catastrophic, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like the, the running game had just completely vanished, or the quarterback had no talent, or whatever, you know, it's always just like a blown coverage there, or just it adds up over the course of a game to where the scoreboard just doesn't. Match and yeah, you know, I, I point some of that back to the coaching staff. I point some of that back to you know, new players and you know, rookie quarterback and different kind of situations there. And you know, it's a lot of turnover in the secondary and all those sorts of things that it just reflects a team that was kind of in flux through a lot of the season. And, and maybe well, now the offense is settling into to its identity and its role, but the defense uh, <laughs> either had it and lost it or, or it hasn't or never quite found it in the first place.
1: Yeah, I mean, where, where Sean Desai kind of looked like, man, this guy's really uh you know getting it under you know getting it, getting his feet underneath him uh here you know as you know responding to the the Rams loss by you know shutting down uh the Bengals and that win looks better the further we get away from it and uh you know the, the we the, the 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 fact that we gave up nine sacks uh in in Justin Fields first start overshadowed the fact that our defense had five in that game that we were up uh, you know, a uh, Baker Baker Mayfield's ass that entire football game, and that it was just the dam breaking in the fourth quarter. That's why we lost by twenty. Uh, but it's just you know, and then of course you know we, we play well against the Lions, but they're zero and eight, and everyone else has played pretty damn well against them uh, so far. And then, like I said, their last really great performance, uh, beating the Raiders, uh, you know, on the road in in uh, in Vegas, and we were three and two at the time. That was a month ago. The defense really hasn't shown up since. I already talked about what happened against Green Bay, San Francisco, and the Steelers. And then, of course, it was the offense that contributed more to the 38-3 loss uh, to Tampa Bay than the defense did. Because, like you said, we were playing with our heels on the goal line pretty much the entire first half. And Brady and company were just putting the ball uh, in the end zone. So it was like where Desai looked like this, uh, you know, uncovered gem uh, in the first quarter of the season, the defense has really fallen off fallen off in the last four weeks.
0: And maybe some of that's, I don't know, to be expected or at least understandable with, you know, a brand-new defensive coordinator who's mm-hmm. new at, I mean, he's been around the team for a while, but is new to how that goes. And, you know, the first couple of weeks, maybe there's that element of teams still trying to figure out exactly what the Bears' defense is going to look like, and then you hit that second quarter-ish of the year, now everybody's got four or five games of tape on what Sean Desai's doing and, you know, offensive head coaches like Matt LaFleur in Green Bay and, and uh, blanking on that um, Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay and of course yeah. Cal Shanahan then in San Francisco. Right. I mean, they, they're good at this and they're good at breaking down opposing defenses and finding where there might be weaknesses. And some of that's personnel too, and understanding that, okay, now we know where the weaknesses are in Chicago's defense on players, not just decide, but you know, so, some guys in the secondary having their ups and downs and injuries in there. And now Kalu back yeah. out, right. All of this is like, as the season goes on, other teams are going to adjust to what you're doing and you have to sort of Counter adjust, and so I'm I'm glad he's getting the bye week here to kind of step away. And it's not that it not that the schedule is going to get super <laughs> that much easier coming out of the bye week here, but at least it's an opportunity for him to put press pause a little bit and work on some of those counter adjustments. And we'll see. You know, if if he does write the ship, that's a good sign for his development as a defensive coordinator. And if it just keeps being a problem, then maybe you can start to question whether he's in. Maybe he moved up a little bit too fast, or is in a little bit over his head
1: yeah and um you know like like you mentioned it in fairness when's the last time he had his entire defensive unit out there because it it seems like we've been playing musical chairs with our with our defensive stars when uh, you know Quinn was out and 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 then but Akeem Akeem Hicks came back and we spent the first what three weeks or so without Eddie Goldman and then uh you know uh, Quinn is out with uh COVID and Max out there by himself Max or Quinn comes back, Mac is out with the foot injury. Then we lose Eddie Jackson uh, and things like that. So yeah, it's you know, in fairness, he hasn't been playing with a full deck pretty much all year. Uh, you know, the, like, we we had everyone together healthy for literally like one play in the Lions game. Then Akeem Hicks uh, goes out, and then we're <laughs> then we're back to not being at full strength uh, again. But um, you know, I, but it's also like you were saying with uh, you know, it seems like the NFL. Uh, was kind of letting him do his thing for the first month or so. They got some good tape on him, and now they can see him coming because the last four weeks have not been good uh, for the defense. Not giving up a ton of points um, aside from the Tampa Bay game, which we've already established was more on the offense uh, than it was the defense. But like uh, like, I, like I mentioned, it's more about how clutch uh, they have not been in the last month than, uh, than how many points they've been giving up.
0: And there should be some trend here of, like, if the offense can keep playing better, it should make life easier on the defense. And particularly, like, offense playing better sooner. Like, even in the Steelers game, right, it was a kind of a slow offensive start, and they— the second half is really when things kind of got chugging earlier. And so the defense is already sort of playing a little bit from behind early on and kind of getting picked on a little bit there. But if the offense can kind of get that earlier lead and give the defense some confidence and a little bit, you know, something to kind of rest on there. I wonder if that, that sort of symbiotic relationship might not eventually help the defense if, if the offense can get to that next level which is is maybe also a, a, a real question mark at this point.
1: Yeah I mentioned that as well when I was reviewing the game uh, earlier this week that um, you know if uh, Justin Field seems to or the offense and, and as a whole seems to get seems to start slow and field seems to get better as the game uh, goes along you know the, the the Green Bay game with the fourth quarter drive uh, that that insane touchdown run against the 49ers and then of course, uh, two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter, uh, including what should have been the game winner uh, there with about a buck 46 to go in the game. I mean, how crazy was that throw uh, to Mooney in the corner? I mean, just, just, I mean, you know, he's surgical with where he put the ball. And then Hub Arkish comes on the radio. He's like, yeah, terrible mechanics on that throw. I like, I think you're missing the point there, Hub. Really think you're missing the mark on that one.
0: Yeah, ninth, ninth game of the season, what is it, his, his sixth game of his career. But uh, the the mechanics on the game, potential game-winning touchdown, just weren't good enough.
1: Right, right. It's like, well, well, because he threw a similar throw, he made a similar throw to Jesse James uh, for that one touchdown. I believe it was against the uh, 49ers. So uh, apparently it's a pattern of uh, poor mechanics. Uh, the funny thing is both of those poorly mechanical throws were – touchdown passes that were thrown on a dime where only our receivers could catch it. So I'm going to say it's okay for the kid to keep doing that as long as it keeps working like that. So and maybe, you know, maybe I'm crazy, but that's maybe it's just me, but um, I'm okay, I'm okay with it. So, but let's go back a little bit um, to the beginning of the uh, off season or not the off season. We've are plus you and I have talked plenty about the goddamn off season, but, Um, the preseason and Nagy's strategy, his plan that he held on like we were going to have to pry it out of his cold dead hands. He was hanging on uh, to this plan uh, to the point where basically people were going to have torches and pitchforks out of outside of Hallis Hall with the Andy Dalton as our starter uh, thing that he just wouldn't let go of. And then finally acquiesced and Fields has been the starter ever since. But um, the, the, the development in the in the preseason, unlike the 49ers where Garoppolo and Trey Lance were splitting uh, reps with the ones, that was not happening in Chicago. Like we, like Nagy was just so sure that Dalton was going to be our starter throughout the year. We were going to go with the Pat Mahomes plan where Fields was going to sit and watch, which sounds great, but not at all being prepared for the fact that Danny Dalton is in his 30s. He might get hurt. Something could happen. And what are you going to put Foles out there instead of fields? No, you're going to put the rookie out there and let him play. Uh, he's obviously, I mean, he's the best quarterback we got, but, uh, you know, made no plan whatsoever for Justin Fields to have to play. And here we are, what, seven weeks later from his his true debut as as a quarterback still trying to figure out how to play football with Allen Robinson because he took no reps in the preseason with Allen Robinson. I mean not even in the preseason games obviously, but in practice they these did not they did not work together at all in the preseason. They even admitted so in in uh in press conferences uh and such. I mean w- was Nagy in fantasy land thinking that this wasn't going to happen or even entertain the idea that it could?
0: It really I think is all about Andy Dalton, right? I mean it really was that was playing. I went back and listened to what Ryan Pace had said at his press conference like after the roster cuts but before week 1 kind of set in the stage and over and over he was asked about Justin Fields and Dalton. and He said, you know, we just it's it's we we really like Justin Fields but we just have so much faith in Andy that he's going to be able to win us these football games and be such a part of it. And so of course, they're not really you're not really accounting for injury or a significant injury as a as a portion of that necessarily. Of course, that that's going to derail Plans, but it, it did feel like such an, a, a miscalculation and an overconfidence in, in what Andy Dalton does. And maybe maybe it was an overconfidence in the supporting cast, too, in thinking that, like, they've built a good enough team around Andy Dalton that Andy Dalton will be good enough for them to win. I mean, they, they talked a lot about, like, you know, the leadership and the, the intelligence and a lot of the intangibles with Dalton rather than, you know, the pretty consistent mediocrity of, of, you know, you see in the box scores and in the PFF grades and, and pretty much all quarterback measurements, Andy Dalton has always been a, a mediocre starting quarterback. And if you have a, a strong enough supporting cast, then, you know, he, he can go to the playoffs and has been a playoff quarterback, but it, it just didn't, it didn't feel like it was necessarily, you know, going for the best possible option. It was like the, it was the safer option, right? It was, was going to be like, well, he can get us eight or nine wins and and that, could or should be enough for the Bears to, to make the playoffs potentially to, on how things kind of go this season with the expanded playoffs and the longer schedule. But the, right, the, the allure was there for Justin Fields to be so much more, and they felt like, no, this is a luxury that we can keep him on the bench because we don't feel like we need to, but it really is – pretty obvious that they they needed to get him out there and that he does give them such a clear better chance to win maybe he didn't give him a better chance to win his first start or his first couple of starts compared to Dalton just him being a veteran quarterback but we all could tell from the beginning that once Fields could get going and get comfortable and get used to it that he would clearly be the more talented quarterback that's why you draft him so early and so why that wasn't part of the the bigger picture plan I I I, I don't know why they were so short-sighted about it.
1: Yeah, it's confusing as hell. I mean, especially, and, and, and I've said this a thousand times now, Nagy also did, Andy Dalton, zero favors in the preseason games themselves by not putting Robinson and Mooney, having our starting offense out there with him because it painted a really ugly picture of Andy Dalton. He's out there with guys that he's not practicing with, Trying to run this offense that he's familiar with because he, you know, it's similar what with Bill Lazor and what he did with him in Cincinnati and all that kind of stuff. So maybe he he's he's familiar with it, but he's still learning it. Going out there struggling, um, you know, the offensive line was a mess in the preseason, so he's getting beat up. He's not playing well. Then here comes Justin Fields. Uh, to mop up in the you know the, at the back half of the second quarter or you know into the second half, uh, and things like that with guys that he's been practicing with all summer long, Jesse James, John V. Johnson, Rodney Adams, slinging the ball all over the field, looking like the best quarterback in the draft. I mean, and j- like I said, doing no favors for Dalton whatsoever, putting it out there basically with strangers, and then putting Fields out there with the guys that he's been practicing with all along. He's coming out there making magic happen, and then he comes into the press conference talking about, we got to get Andy Dalton to week one. We got to get Andy Dalton to week one. We got to get Andy Dalton to week one. And everyone, every Bear fan is, I was like, dude, I have eyes. Andy Dalton sucks. Justin Fields is out there killing it. Why are we even entertaining the idea of Dalton starting week one against the The Rams, and it it, it just painted an ugly picture from the start, like this thing was mishandled from day one.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a – I don't think arrogance is quite the right word. Yeah. But it was very much this, like, trust us, we've got this figured out already. Andy Dalton is going to be great when we get to the regular season. You'll see. We've already figured it out. Like, we already know – this is going to happen despite, I mean, I mean, you never know for sure what's going to happen, especially when it's new players in new systems with new coaches and new receivers and all that stuff. But it was always like, oh, no, don't worry. Andy Dalton is going to be better in the regular season, and this plan is going to work. And it was like they weren't properly preparing for alternatives. I think they knew what the alternatives would be in their yeah. head. Like they had planned, They had contingencies in place where, like, if Dalton gets hurt, here's what we will do then. But they weren't preparing for right other possibilities in the moment and in the now and then all of a sudden you know Dalton doesn't ball out I mean he played he played okay but wasn't wasn't phenomenal in the regular season and then all of a sudden Dalton is hurt and you're completely unprepared for e- either possibility of of Dalton needing to go to the bench sooner than you want him to
1: yeah it was um like I said I, I feel bad for Andy Dalton um because you know number one, We sign him off the heels of the major flirtation with Russell Wilson. We have that stupid Photoshopped QB one tweet that goes out there that still lives in infamy uh, and everything. And then, like I said, we, you know, he's pounding the table. Dalton's our guy. Dalton's our guy. Dalton's our guy. He comes out, does not perform well in the preseason while out there, you know, Justin Fields is moving mountains and scoring points, Uh, And everything, and we're all sitting here like, what? What are we missing? What's what's what are we missing here? Um, You know, he just got a raw deal from the beginning, and then in the end, it was just, uh, you know. Let me ask you this though: Um, Your opinion. Whose decision was it to stick with Fields as the starter? Are we believing Matt Nagy, or are we believing what the rest of us believe, which is this came from above, whether it be Ryan Pace. George McCaskey, or even old Ginny McCaskey herself. I think it came from above. What do you think?
0: You know, as much as a lot of the buzzwords they throw at us tend to feel empty and hollow and kind of not well-believed, I, I do find myself feeling like, it definitely doesn't feel to me like a unilateral decision, like it was not a mandate from Mama McCaskey necessarily, but I I do feel like th- there was a, a group discussion, right? I think yeah. there was influence perhaps from George and Ted. I don't, I don't think Virginia, That I don't think she specifically is saying, no, you got to start that Justin Fields. I mean, you know, I, don't, I don't believe that she has that kind of sway and influence, but I think I, I would not be surprised. And I, I kind of feel like George and Ted and Ryan and Matt ha- had that conversation and 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 probably talked about it honestly, I mean, I think they've they've been in, involved in this quarterback planning from the get go and probably had this point and this feeling of like, okay, you know, at what point does this become you know the genie out of the bottle? It's too big to to put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube and at that point, I don't know that they had they had much choice at that point, especially from a business standpoint that that Ted and George might be more influenced on, but then also there's enough of a football argument there, too that. You, know, you can you can sort of string along the Dalton injury thing for even maybe longer than you want to. I mean that you need to because you can just kind of say he 's still hurt in the same way that they 'll throw people on injured reserve even when they 're not fully that badly injured, but you can kind of string along the Dalton thing long enough to at least see kind of where fields is and and if you know he, if he' had completely crapped the bed two or three games in a row and felt like okay, it is way too soon, then you could go back to Dalton, but I think there was some genuine. There was some genuine open-mindedness as to how Fields would do, and then once you know, once once you saw some of those flashes, then I think management from top to bottom is got it, it. You can't be that blind and stubborn to not see that once it's <laughs> forced upon you to have that quarterback on the field and really in the public eye for everyone at home to see it. So that you know, George McCaskey's friends and and family, you know, people he talks about grocery stores and at dinner are all talking about Justin Fields, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I, we do have to do something about that.
1: Yeah, it was. Um... Because it just it was a 180 inside of 24 hours, um, you know. Here it was when it was after the Lions game, where it was just like, okay, here he is. He was you know five throws to Darna Mooney, a Buck twenty five. We're throwing the ball uh, downfield. The offense has life. We scored 20 points, and for the first time this year, uh, the offense looked competent and smooth. We're you know we're moving the football and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then Monday morning. Nagy's like, oh, yeah, Dalton's the starter. And, I mean, everyone is just like, you know, like that old cartoon where you just see the jaw literally drop to the floor. And it's like, did he just say that out loud? He just said that. Like, he's not he's not thinking it, you know. It's, he actually said that to, to the public. And then, well, actually, it was 48 hours because it was Wednesday. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go with Fields as the starter. And I also thought the delivery of that was pretty funny because it was like the third thing he told the press. He kind of buried the lead on the whole, like, we're sticking with Fields uh, thing. It's like, first he's coming in talking about random injuries about, you know, other players. And then, and we're, we're sticking with uh, Fields as the starter from, from here on out. And, you know, it was, it was just kind of funny to me how it all kind of uh, went down. It's like, yeah, there was a conversation and it was uh, imposed to you that uh, to hell with your plan we're going with the rookie so just let make it work kind of thing
0: yeah and i understand wanting to be you know delicate about it immediately after the game and you know they'd stick into a plan but it, it, it i don't know it does feel like so rigid and inflexible of, of just like <laughs> like well no we, we i have to keep saying dalton is a starter until i consult the team and go through the plan and and I, and you know it's just when it's kind of football common sense and just knowing What's going to come, but still kind of play it up in that, like, no, we're, we're trying to be consistent and sticking with that plan and going and and I, I get me wanting to like sit down with Andy and have that conversation with him first. But you can you can do that without at least coming out and being like, hey, you know, Dalton is our starter or whatever, and trying to end up walking that back just a couple of days later, I always just kind of felt, I don't know, just not. Almost like not mature or not not that Matt Nagy's being immature, but just that, that the plan itself was not like well well matured. Like it wasn't uh, it wasn't super thought out and it wasn't prepared for what they would do in that situation if Dalton like you go into that Detroit game saying like, okay, if if Fields plays well, what's what are we gonna do? Right. You should kind of be thinking a few steps ahead and that the fact that they they weren't there yet or, or needed that extra time to reach that conclusion just, just felt so off to me.
1: Yeah, and it, it also kind of feels like um I don't know, lazy maybe would be a word to, to, I mean, I don't know about lazy, but uh, I don't, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word incompetent, but it's just fewer words kind of fit what I'm trying to think. What I'm trying to say here is just that with, with the plan and how rigid he was in sticking with the plan. Like I said, a minute ago, like if he was holding on to the plan, we would have had to pull it out of his cold dead hands because he was just stuck to this, plan even more so like we were talking about uh, a moment ago he never prepared Justin Fields for God forbid the moment he might actually have to play like God forbid Andy Dalton tweaks his knee in the second quarter of the second game uh, of the year the plan goes out the window and here comes uh, Justin Fields and now we'll see what happens uh, kind of thing he was grossly underprepared for that he's been running the scout team all week long he doesn't, you know, he's not going to be able to go out there and just run the offense and, and do things and, and, and whatnot. And then, God forbid, a week later, he's forced into duty against the Browns. And do we really want to talk about that game? I mean, what a goddamn mess that game was. I mean, it was just what a disaster. And uh, just, I mean, and then and that's where you kind of really felt the full force of Justin Fields being a national story and you know, drawing all this attention. I mean, it was everywhere. There was spit and venom coming out of the talking heads, you know, mouths after on Monday morning, talking about how Matt Nagy basically just set this kid up to fail and did not do anything to help him throughout that game in Cleveland.
0: It really was sort of and, and maybe we didn't fully realize it at the time, like the the culmination of all that lack of preparation. I mean that's yeah, that's reflected yeah. more than anything else. It clearly it was not a reflection of the quarterback fields is or is going to be. And maybe it was a reflection of the offensive line at that time and honestly like the offensive scheme and play calling at the time too. I mean, that was still that was before Bill Lazor had been fully formally officially handed the reins, if I if I remember correctly. I remember yeah, exactly, it was the last happened.
1: game that Nagy called the
0: place. Yeah. So like it was such a reflection of uh, the coaching staff more than anything else, not being able to help their players and put them in such a position to at least, not, not even beat the Browns, but get more than one total passing yard when it was all said and done, or more than what 50 yards of offense or whatever it actually was. 47, you know? yeah. 47 yards. Yeah. A, a colossal failure on, on so many different fronts that really encapsulated a lot of the the feelings around this coaching staff and this regime that I think, you know, we might look back on it and, and that game not as being the 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 day he got fired, but you know, the really the if you need like an example of like okay, here's here's where here here's why Bears fans were so up, upset and why they're ready to move on from Matt Nagy, you can kind of look back at that one.
1: Oh, for sure, uh, for sure. I mean, it was just, um, you know, and you, and you sit there and and you wonder. Why did it take so long to make the to make any kind of uh, of adjustments? We just set them back there. It was it was clear that uh, you know leaving our tackles out on an island against Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney was a bad idea. But here they kept coming, and we did nothing. No tight ends. No. No chip blocks, no, no you know, no boots, no rollouts, no nothing. We're just going to send him back there and, you know, all that kind of stuff. He just got has to get the ball out quick and everything like that. Nine Four sacks at halftime, you know, no adjustments, five more in the second half. I mean, it's just, what are we doing here? You know, it's like Miles Garrett was, was on his way to break Derek Thomas' single-game sack record, you know, if we keep this up. And, you know, no help whatsoever, and it just – all hell rained down as far as the media. I mean, not even just the Chicago media. That's that's what's been so interesting about this thing is that Justin Fields being on the team makes the Bears relevant nationwide. So when something like this happens, it's not just us and the beat writers that are bellyaching about it. The whole country... Is talking about the failure and Matt Nagy and where he messed up and how he's ruining Justin Fields uh, and everything like that. And you got to give credit to Fields; he comes out a week later against the Lions like Cleveland never happened. So I mean, it's it, it was amazing watching it all go down that way and to have it be spoken on such a you know a nationwide level. I mean, it was everywhere on Monday after that Cleveland game. What you know, the failure of Matt Nagy and how he didn't help. Justin Fields, and yeah, Fields didn't play well, and he made some mistakes and everything, but it was his first start. What did you expect? And then his coach did nothing to help and or protect him uh, in that ball game. It was everywhere, which was, you know, something that we're, as Bear fans, not used to.
0: What stood out to me uh, over the last few weeks especially is just, you know, following enough beat reporters that cover other teams and how I see very similar messages from, you know, completely separate writers and reporters and analysts all saying like boy there's still really not doing that much to help Justin Fields and, and and commenting just on like what Fields is overcoming and what they're seeing yeah. schematically from this Bears offense where it's not just like it's not just the same people saying the same things every week like like you or I but it's like okay I saw Steelers reporters talking about man they're not I really helped they're not doing Justin Fields any favors out there then I saw 49ers reporters 2 weeks ago saying boy, Justin Fields is really having to kind of overcome a lot of even his own teammates and coaching staff and Buccaneers and Packers before that, right? It's like other teams are seeing it in this quarterback head coach dynamic and just quarterback coaching staff dynamic in Chicago. So it it really is that chorus, not only nationally, but sort of in other local markets too that just, just are just noticing it, watching the games like we are.
1: Yeah. And and that's what's been so interesting is is seeing people who are supposed to have an unbiased opinion uh you know to be partisan if you will about how they dole out their opinions and uh and whatnot I mean and uh, I mean I'm just thinking about the like get up especially on ESPN Monday morning um Mike Greenberg it was it was Rex Ryan who's got some skin in the game as far as Chicago is concerned because dear old dad was Buddy Ryan and the the you know architect of the 46. But you know Dan Orlovsky, Ryan Clark, uh, and everything—all of them in the same in the same boat. Like, yeah, <laughs> Nagy set this kid up to like even the conspiracy theory started flying around that he, you know, tanked that game to make Fields look bad, so he'd have a reason to start Andy Dalton when he was healthy, uh, kind of thing. Like that's how bad it was that there were, you know, legitimate. Uh, you know talking heads out there and pundits from nfl network espn you know you name it we're all like maybe he went maybe he did it on purpose so that he could start andy dalton when he was healthy from this knee injury
0: you know it's a problem when people are wondering whether you're accidentally bad or intentionally bad because that's just how bad you are right at being good like that <laughs> that's that's the that's the sign, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the yeah, okay. We, we should we
1: should probably go separate ways. Like
0: when all your friends are telling you that you know you should break up with somebody, it's like yeah, this is probably a a pretty good sign here.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're all in agreement here, and the people who don't care all have the same opinion about what's what's going on. It's like the well, like this week with the penalties in the in the Steeler game, the, the one on Cassius Marsh for the, for the taunting and, and uh, the the one that really actually, in my opinion, truly impacted the game that no one's really talking about because of the taunting rule, the James Daniels low block uh, penalty. He was still in the tackle box and he also missed the block on TJ Watt. He throws the flag. Anyway, we have to settle for a field goal. Those four points win us the game. If nothing, if everything else goes the same, we beat the Steelers because we scored 31 instead of uh, uh, 27. But it's like you – Monday – or not Monday morning, Tuesday morning, everyone's talking about how the Bears got screwed by the referees in the game, and it's not just Bear fans belly aching over a loss. It is, you know, like the Rich Eisen show talking to Dean Blandino from uh, – you know, from, he's – I forget what network he belongs to now. I think he's with Fox – or whatever, but former head of officials and all that kind of stuff, and even he was like, "Yeah, that taunting room was garbage. That shouldn't have, shouldn't have happened." Or I don't believe that you know it was a good call, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. When everybody's kind of all in it with you, it it feels weird to to to, to go back and see. It's not just us bear fans belly aching about you know this this or that. Everybody having the same opinion about what's going on because the bears are a nationwide story now.
0: Yeah, especially with the Steelers game and and the referees and stuff like, yeah, it was close enough where, like, any one of those could have potentially changed the outcome of this game, but it was also close enough where, like, even in spite of all those, if the defense makes a stop at the end there or, you know, you, you connect a little bit earlier in the game and score, any of those, any of those individual moments could have overcome even the referees in yeah. addition to the things the Steelers were doing. And so it's like it, it does feel good to, to not feel like, the target is purely on your back and that no one agrees with you. Like everyone's ganging up on you, but to, to be that sort of consensus, it's the same kind of feeling as when, when Justin Fields was just first drafted and every team, every team's fan base was like, Oh yeah, I wish we would have drafted that kid. And I think we're going to, we're going to see more of that too, as the years go forward.
1: Yeah. Looking forward, uh, looking forward to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause I, I, I've um, it's been a long time since we drafted somebody, and then you start hearing from everyone in the division like, oh, no, no, that's not good for us. That's not a good thing that the Bears ever find a quarterback. That's the, you know, one of the main things we've been missing literally forever. And, you know, if, if they ever solve the quarterback puzzle, you might actually have to worry about the Bears uh, for a while. Instead of a season here, a season there, they get a quarterback who can come in and take over the division like the Packers have done for the last three decades then uh, the Bears could be a problem uh, for a while. And wouldn't that just be the worst thing ever for the Bears to, you know, do something consistently well uh, for a while? It sure was
0: uh, encouraging timing. It was just a nice sort of glimpse into the future when Justin Fields has his best game of the season and Jordan Love has that game (laughs) in his debut.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not the, the guy that likes to revel in the things that go wrong uh for Green Bay. Like um, you know, I didn't exactly celebrate when Rogers came down with uh with COVID. Um a lot of people still upset about the I own you thing that was like this was just desserts for, you know, being a dick at Soldier Field. Uh like that. Just like, you know, he's gonna be back in plenty of time to kick our ass on Sunday night football. So I don't know what we're all getting excited about. Um unless the NFL pulls the trigger on some kind of suspension. But watching Jordan Love go out there and put seven points on the board, and it's like, man, this looks familiar, doesn't it? Just wrong uniforms, right outcome, wrong uniforms, uh, kind of thing. The defense holds the opponent to thirteen, and somehow it's not enough because your offense sucks. With your, you know, your quarterback's letting you down. You can only muster seven points, and you lose a game where you know where your your defense holds one of the more explosive offenses in the NFL the 13 points. It's like, where have we seen that before? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, the shoe really was on the other foot there. Just, oh, for sure. <laughs> and even, I guess there were some of those Packers years, too, where their defense wasn't good enough, but their quarterback did everything they could, like the Bears had against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So just a, a temporary sort of glimpse into the future, perhaps, even though the Bears, the Bears did still lose. But at least, as we talked about, it didn't feel like a loss. And maybe, that, maybe the Packers' result also made the Bears game feel like less of a, a loss, too.
1: This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Uh, for Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come through and talk to me live on Club 347. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Follow me at Larry DEE to be notified when my room goes live. And again, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, you can join me on the Spotify Green Room for Club 347. Come in, let's have a conversation, let's talk Bears, let's talk whatever you want. But in order to do that, you got to download the Spotify Green Room anywhere you get your apps. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Symbol. Symbol is the sports stock market that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. There are two ways to make money on Symbol. First, every time a team you own wins, you earn a cash win payout. Second, just like the stock market, if you think a team is going to increase in value, you can buy low and sell high for a profit. Use promo code SD, as in sports drink, to make your first deposit risk-free. That means even if you lose money or just decide the market isn't for you, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. <coughs> so let's talk about our, our, about our players, not named uh, Justin Fields. Um, it's been an interesting year as far as watching guys step up or who has been stepping up and who hasn't like um, you know, Larry Baram thrown into action for about 10 seconds. Week one, when Peters came out with an, with an injury, he gets rolled up. We don't see him again until the 49er game where he's literally coming off. IR to start against the 49ers. And Oh, by the way, Nick Bosa plays for the 49ers. And then, Oh, by the way, the next week, He's going to be going uh, head-to-head against T.J. Watt, who lines up almost every snap on the right side uh, of the offense. So, yeah, we're going to have him going up against that. And, um, you know, he performs outstanding in both of those uh, football games. And um, the way Khalil Herbert uh, has emerged, another late-round draft choice. I mean, he wasn't a fifth-rounder, so it's kind of weird, but it's a sixth-rounder. Uh, coming out there and and making us kind of forget that we had that we, like we didn't really miss David Montgomery while he was gone with the way Herbert was running uh, the you know the football and you know it's just seeing seeing the guy step up Damian Williams running the the ball well against the Raiders in the first game uh, without Montgomery uh, and thing and I'm trying to think of anybody else that's been stepping up uh, so far uh, this year I mean oh I like what I see from Kyris Tonga our seventh round. Uh, draft choice when he's out there. He hasn't been playing that much, or at least not that I've noticed uh, and everything, but guys that have been stepping up, it it seems like it's all rookies at this point.
0: And that's where you start to paint this argument of like, well, is, is Ryan Pace all that bad? I mean, I mean, it's it's how, it's how he falls back into this category of, you know, kind of middle of the pack general manager in the sense, not everything he does is is bad. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in, You know, the bad contracts here, there, and, and like, obviously – the offensive line hasn't been as good as it was towards the end of last season. It feels like they stepped back there in the second. I mean, there's plenty of problems with this Bears team that you can blame on the general manager as to why they're three and six. But you can find his draft picks and some of his free agent decisions pretty well across the board. I mean, Jason Peters is working out pretty well. All the all the different rookies that you talked about there. You know, He signed Allen Robinson, although he's kind of bungled the Allen Robinson thing now. But brought in Marquise Goodwin, and he's been all right. And then, you know, like maybe defensively it, it falls apart a little bit more, but it is his younger guys developing with you know Kendall Vildor and Duke Shelley. They've been not good, but there's there's maybe been some progress there. And and Robert Quinn has turned out. I mean, as yeah. much as that was a, a giant Ryan Pace failure last year, all of a sudden when he has been healthy, which the COVID thing kind of threw that off for a little bit, and now no Khalil Mack is throwing that off a little bit too. But like he's he's still been been very good this season. So like. There's, there's enough pieces there where you can start to paint this like, oh, well, Ryan Pace has done some some good things, but there's also been enough struggle there where it, it hasn't been good enough. But has it been would, – would it be good enough if they had a better coaching staff? And as much as we had, we had the is it Nagy or is it Mitch Trubisky debate in previous years, I think we're coming up on a, is, it, is it Nagy or is it Ryan Pace debate coming up yeah. here as we think about the future beyond this season of like well he got just he got Justin Fields and he found Khalil Herbert and he found all these things and then you know if they had a better coaching staff would this with this offensive line be better would with the wide receivers be better would the defense be better i mean we we don't we'll never going to know specifically the answers to it but i think that's the debate that's that's building up toward
1: well and it was also a discussion i wanted to have a little bit later on but we're here so let's go ahead and and do it you know, there, there's going to have to be a decision made at the end of this season. Hell, if the Bears keep losing, that decision might get made earlier than that, even though that's not the Bears' M.O. But let's say we get down to the end of the year, because one thing I was going to ask about is looking at the schedule with the team that we have, you know, had going into twenty and uh, 2021, I think – 3 and 6 isn't far from where I thought the Bears would be. I was thinking at best, at best we're 5 and 4 at the break. I was more looking at 4 and 5 like I was thinking that we would continue our tradition of uh inexplicable victories over the Steelers to get that fourth win. But I did have the Bears 3 and 5 going into that that last game uh before the bye. I just thought that we'd be able to pull off another win against the Steelers and we came up just short. But if we keep but I also didn't think the Bears would be on a four game losing streak uh at this point. And, you know, I thought we might steal that first one uh against Green Bay and, you know, that kind of thing. And just the way that I was kind of toting out the the season uh and everything. But we get down to the end of the season. I mean, just looking at the schedule out of the gate from from the bye, we have the Ravens. They're a pretty generous defense, but then again, can we rely on our offense to keep doing what they've been doing and you know racking up the points and we 22 against the 49ers, 29 or 27 against the Steelers, you know are, are you know are we going to be able to keep doing that? Then we got the Lions on Thanksgiving Day. We'll more likely still be winless by the time we see them again, but weird shit happens on Thanksgiving and you never you know, you can't just write that off. We don't exactly play well in Detroit. Uh, to begin with. They're the worst team in the, foot, in the NFL right now, but you can never know. Then we have the Cardinals. I am not at all looking forward to Kyler Murray and company coming into town uh, at Field. And then we have Green Bay on Sunday Night Football, which we all know is a landmine for the Bears. And then it lightens up the last four games, Minnesota, Seattle, the Giants, Minnesota. So let's say we get down to the end, we're 7-10 and 10 or whatever. However, that works out with 17 games. Nagy's got to go. Does Pace go with him? That's the, to me, that's the real question. Is like Nagy leaving at the end of the season. To me, that's a foregone conclusion. I don't care how well Justin Fields is doing by the end of the season. We got to move on uh, from Nagy so we can just take that with him and, and go back and be Andy Reid's quarterback coach again in Kansas City. I think we're done with Nagy no matter what at the end of the season. Does Ryan Pace go with him?
0: It's hard to sit here and say he deserves to pick a third head coach. Yeah. Right? I mean, at, at, and maybe you could argue there's plenty of theories out there that maybe he didn't get to pick John, John Fox. Fox.
1: That was an Ernie Acorsi pick. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Then how How much influence was that truly Ryan Pace's pick or not? fair, but does he get the chance to make it work with a third head coach? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same thing we talk about with a quarterback. It's like, okay, you know, he got to pick... He got a second chance to pick a quarterback. Does he get a third chance to pick a head coach And if, if he got the quarterback right? I mean, is that... It, that's, that's what's so tough about this. It's yeah. like... I it, I don't know what ownership's appetite is. It always seems like he, Ted and, and George have kind of had his back, but like I talked about earlier, listening back to what Ryan said at the beginning of this season, you know, they asked him, "What's the ceiling for this team? What are your expectations? What do they need to do for this season to be successful?" He said, "We got to win games, and we got to be competing in the playoffs, and we're gonna." You know, and then you know, it's all this talk, but we have to let our play prove it for us. And their play so far has proven them to be three and six. Like yeah, they're if they go if they go three and four out of those next. Sorry, if they go one and four, like one of four, they lose three of those four next games. If they lose to the Ravens, Cardinals, and Packers, they're guaranteed to be under 500 no matter what. Like, that'll be their ninth loss, and that would be in a 17-game season. They cannot get above 500 if they don't beat one of the Ravens, Cardinals, and Packers. And, of course, then you have to win out the rest of your games to even be above 500. So like, right. if they don't make the playoffs. And Ryan Pace keeps talking about the playoffs. Like, they look back on their last couple of seasons and say, well, we've made playoffs in two of the last three seasons, even though one of them was 8-8 and 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 barely a a successful season. Like, if they miss that playoff mark, that's kind of been what they've been setting as – as the goal. I mean, I would argue they should set the Super Bowl as the goal every year and that this franchise is way too accepting of mediocrity to say that an 8-8 eight and eight season in the playoffs was good enough and that was a success. That's part of what haunts this franchise historically yeah. is not holding themselves to high expectations and having that bar be extremely low. But missing the playoffs, whether that's 8-9 and nine or 7-10, and 10, I think if, especially if you get to that 7-10 and 10 or 6-11 and 11 type range, I, I just don't think you can justify – bringing that general manager back, because at the end of the day, even if you want to blame the coaching staff almost entirely, he picked this coaching staff, and this was his second chance at a coaching staff. Or even if it was his first pure choice, it was his second coaching staff he got to really work with and try and connect with as a general manager and a coaching staff on building the right team for that coaching staff. And so how do we know that, A, he can pick a good one, and B, that he can – mesh correctly with a good one to give that coaching staff the talent they need to be successful. And so like, I I don't want to take for granted all the great draft picks he has made in there, but the results have to speak for themselves after a while, at least the wins and the losses. And that's as much as it starts with the head coach, it really does go general manager. And I just, if, if they're really, they're really far below 500, I think ownership makes a change. But if they're, if they're close enough, I, I, I don't know. I could see them holding on to that relationship, but I've also seen some people suggest like maybe you promote Ryan Pace. To yes. A, yeah. A higher up role and then bring in a new general manager. And I don't. I, I because I don't, that I could serve,
1: it, that could serve two purposes. Number one, it, uh, you know, we, we, we hang on, or we have a reason to hang on to uh, Ryan Pace so that he's still in the building looking at all the stuff he's done off the field. He's, you know done a great job with the football operations enhancing Hallis Hall making it a you know making it the the facilities a destination for free agents and uh and 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 what have you he has had uh you know Mets had some great hits in draft choices especially on day 3 uh of the draft and 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 things like that to 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 bump him up and and hang on to him and also would likely be a reason to move Ted Phillips to something else, make make him the you know the the, the head of football operations or the president or of football or whatever title you want to give him. But to have a football guy making football decisions instead of having a guy who's got a degree in economics making football decisions, which is what Ted Phillips is doing in his current position, you know, move him off, let him be in charge. We, you know, because we got a stadium to build out in Arlington Heights now. Let's get, let him be in charge of that. Let that be the, his legacy and the last thing that he does before he goes riding off with his golden parachute uh, at the end. So it, it, we, we hang on to Ryan Pace and keep his influence in the building, but we also move Ted Phillips out of making any football uh, decisions, which is why I think some people are thinking that might be the, be the way to go. You know, the, the, the McCaskies, they love uh, Ryan Pace and they want to hang on to him. But him being the guy having the final say uh, with uh, football uh, choices and, you know, making the – hire the GM to make the next decision on who the coach is going to be is probably uh, um, have your cake and eat it too kind of thing.
0: It just feels like you're rewarding him with a promotion. It does, right? That's, yeah. I, I with that. It's like you've done such a good job getting this team – below five hundred this season that we're gonna <laughs> put you into an even higher role. You know, like I it I I totally see the benefit and the idea of I like the idea of not having Ted Phillips involved in football decisions and then you still get a different general manager in there, but you know, Pace is still around. But I don't know. Do you still get Ryan Pace's late round magic if he's president of football operations or or is he not as actively involved in the draft? Or or then are you still getting Ryan Pace's poor free agent decisions and, and contract <laughs> salary cap troubles. Like yeah. I would much rather, and this is not realistic, but I would much rather demote him to like director of college scouting and hire a new general manager, right? Mm. Let him handle the draft. Oh, sure. I think he's, I, I struggle has he earned it? I mean, he's, he's botched some first round picks, but I guess between fields and all the late round guys, he, he's not batting that much worse than most general managers in the draft. It tends to be a crap shoot for everybody. So I, I'm not going to be too critical of his drafting. So if I could make him, just in charge of just the draft side of general managing, and hire a real general, a real gen, but a new general manager to kind of handle everything else. That would be more ideal for me. But I don't think you're necessarily going to get him to take that promote. I and it's just awkward from like a an organizational power dynamics when your boss yeah. becomes your coworker or whatever. And it's just it's not realistic. But that would feel to me like the better solution to still get the best parts of Pace, but then also try and get rid of some of the worst parts of Pace.
1: Yeah, it, it to me it, it almost kind of feels like uh, when you have a when you give the when you have two offensive coordinators, one's in charge of the run game, one's in charge of the of the passing game kind of thing. It's like, yeah, we'll have Ryan Pace as general manager in charge of the draft and then we'll hire another general manager to be in charge of free agency we'll bring that guy in to, to be able to, you know, bring in outside talent and, and veteran players and whatnot, and Ryan Pace will be in charge of bringing in the young guys uh, kind of thing. It's You're right. It probably wouldn't work, not to mention just to save face, he probably wouldn't take a demotion uh, like that. So um, it's just an idea. And, I, you know, I would say, that, like, gun to my head, if we had to keep one or the other, I'm keeping Pace every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Nagy is out.
0: I'm with you there a hundred percent. I mean, no no question at all.
1: Yeah. So I mean it's just and I know Ryan Pace has his fingerprints on it too, but the whole just sticking the whole plan thing and and like the further we got along, we just saw that the the plan was was a wet paper bag. It was just gonna fall apart at any moment. Uh, kind of thing, and with with not getting fields in in any reps in preseason, like I listened to the Hogan Johns podcast. That was all those guys could talk about was the lack of reps he was getting with the first with the first team. How he's literally thrown like one or two passes to Allen Robinson throughout all of training camp and things like they could they were pounding the table for it the entire preseason, entire training camp. Uh, and everything like that. It's like, we're just not, he's not getting any reps. He's just not, he's out there running, uh, you know, this, you know, running out there with the second team uh, and everything. And even after we had the joint practices with the dolphins and fields put on a show against the dolphins starters. And even after that, he just, you know, didn't get promoted to have, you know, first, uh, first team reps or, or anything like that. These guys talked about it endlessly and we're, you know, we saw, how he struggled in trying to find chemistry with, with Mooney and, and with, with Robinson and things like that. And, uh, I mean, we finally just – we finally rediscovered Allen Robinson as an option in the offense this past Monday against the, against the Steelers. I think he still only had like three or four catches, but he was there like in those important moments. He was looking Robinson's way, and Robinson was making plays for a change because up to this point, Robinson has been stealing money from the Bears as far as what he's contributed. Not all his fault, but when you're making $18 million a season, 24 catches at the midway point of the season, and you're not injured is unforgivable. It
0: sure is convenient, though, for Ryan Pace and the Bears to lowball the hell out of Allen Robinson for two years and then (laughs) franchise tag him and now you know, and have the quarterback not really be on the same page with him and have him be coming out with some of his lowest production of his career when healthy, entering another contract year to then try and lowball him again to be a long-term deal, right? I mean, I'm not saying they intentionally sabotaged Allen Robinson because they might lose their jobs as a result of Allen Robinson not having a good enough season in this offense, but – Boy, it sure is convenient for this team to have to maybe not have to pay Robinson if he's not coming off of a 12, 1300 yard year with double digit touchdowns.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about this during the summer uh, when we when we previewed the the season, where you know, when talking about Allen Robinson, I said even when the Bears win, they lose. It's like we won by getting Allen Robinson back. Robinson signed with the Bears because he saw what the market was for receivers. This is a guy asking for twenty million plus a season, and I think maybe Kenny Galladay made out the best with like 16 mil or something a year from the, from the Giants when every other top receiver on the free agent market was getting 11 or 12. So he was going to have to take a pay cut as far as what the market was concerned, or I can make $18 million on the franchise tag with the Bears. Yeah, I'm going to go do that. So even when the Bears win, they lose, because we ended up paying him, what, 5 mil or so, what the market was dictating in free agency this year because of the 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 hit that the salary cap took due to COVID, I mean, and so uh, you know, it's just not working out with with Robinson as far as the the numbers are concerned, and I and I wonder what's going to happen now. But also at the same time, the way that Justin Fields is playing, the way that he's progressing, I'm wondering who he's going to be able to attract to Chicago because he's playing in a way where free agencies are go- free agents are going to look at this guy and say, I want to play with him. You know, it's like I want to I want to help him be everything that he can be, and see if we can't turn Chicago into into something. Like, there's a guy in Green Bay who wears number 17 that's going to be a free agent, and you know, I know it's probably never going to happen, but who knows, man? You know, Rogers most likely not going to be in Green Bay next year, so you know, does he follow Rogers to Denver or wherever the hell he ends up, or does he say like, you know what, I'm going to stay in the north and uh, maybe take a chance with this Fields kid? who uh, seems like he's the next big thing in this division.
0: It kind of circles back to the to the Brian Pace discussion a little bit in the sense that the Bears are going to have a crap ton of free agents to re-sign and yeah. not crap ton of cap space to re-sign them. I mean, specifically at wide receiver, I think Darnell Mooney is the only one on the roster right now who's under contract next year, <laughs> I think. All the other four are all yeah. going to be free. So they're going to have to sign somebody at wide receiver. And so that, that could be Devontae Adams or Allen Robinson or, or even Marquise Goodwin or Demir Bird again or whoever. But, you know, that's a, a, one of those examples of positions like there's a lot of other positions like that where you got you got one or two guys under contract next season. And you're going to have to sign – you're going to have to either re-sign James Daniels or find a new guard. You might want to upgrade it center. There's been some some – Question marks there and certainly on, on the defensive side you know, in the secondary uh, and at, at multiple spots and, and depending on what you want to end up doing at, at linebacker with Danny Trevathan and Alec Ogletree and that in the long term. And, you know, if can you afford Quinn and Mac at their current salaries? I mean, there's a lot of there's potential for a lot of turnover here. And so do you invest all that money in Robinson or Devontae Adams or do you need to go? you know spread the wealth around a little bit more and and go middle or lower tier at a bunch of positions as opposed to cashing
1: all in at one that's a I'm sure a whole other discussion for the off season oh for sure i'm sure you and i will will dive into that plenty in uh well i guess mid january now the season doesn't end until january 9th uh this season so um you know it's 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 going to be interesting to to see how that goes because Akeem hicks is going to be uh, a free agent like you said james daniels is looking to Uh, you know, get his second contract. I'd like to hang on to him, but, you know, I'm not, I don't think he's earning the money that the Browns just doled out to their guards uh, this week. Each one of them getting like 14, 15 million uh, a season. James Daniels isn't going to get that, or at least he shouldn't anyway. um, But, you know, you're right. It's like, where do we spend uh, the money? Because it's like numbers wise, cap wise, it's like, we got a ton of uh, money. It's just that, like you said, like two thirds of the roster is on a one year deal. So we, we got all this, all these guys that we want to bring back and, you know, trying to make a splash in free agency. Yeah. The cap's going to be higher again uh, next year uh, and everything, but we've got to sign two thirds uh, of the roster uh, during the off season. And that's even before we get into the 2022 uh, draft uh, and everything. So do you leave that in Ryan Pace's hands? Do you hire a new general manager and all that kind of stuff? I mean, these are all discussions we get to have. The season ends on the ninth. I'm sure we'll know by the 10th what's going on there. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to find out what the what the battle plan will be for the Bears going forward uh, from there. So, I, a lot, go ahead. A lot still to be determined, too, the, the way the second half of the season goes.
0: If you think yeah. back to last year, how much changed. It wasn't the first game after the bye week against the Packers, but... Soon after the bye week, how much everything changed for this team? And I know you, you and I, every year we talk about how bad this team is coming out of the bye week in that first game. So yeah. I mean that's why I don't, I don't feel good about the Ravens in that matchup. Oh man, but like
1: I've yeah, I've been talking about it. Trust me. <laughs>
0: but the, but there's still time for Sam Mustafer to turn a corner and feel like okay, no, he is worth holding on to as a long-term option at center. There's still time for dare I say, you know, Kendall Vildor or Duke Shelley to you know, settle in and kind of figure it out and feel like, oh, like there's a a potential long-term answer there at cornerback. And I think there's probably still time for the opposite, you know, for Robert Quinn to completely vanish again and be useless again and feel like, okay, you got to cut him and replace him next off season. I mean, there's, there's room for younger players who have been struggling to get better. And there's room for players who are playing well to
1: get worse and throw some of these things into question. And that's where it also becomes interesting on whether pace or not, whether pace comes back or not, because if a new guy comes in, does he keep Eddie Jackson or does he send him packing after the last two seasons that he's had, you know, like he's, he's had since his, um, you know, emergence in 2017, 2018, his first two years where Fangio was his uh, was his defensive coordinator where Adrian Amos was his uh, backfield mate. He lost them both uh, in 2019 and in the three seasons since, he's got two interceptions, all of which were in 2019. So, I mean, Eddie Jackson has not been the Eddie Jackson that we decided to make the highest paid safety in football uh, the last two seasons. Does the new guy be like, well, I didn't pick him. I'm not invested in him. So off you go, Eddie Jackson. We'll save that money and try to sign uh, some, you know, sign or draft somebody else to play the, uh, the deep middle uh, for us. You know, those are the other decisions that, that could change. Like if, if Ryan Pace is back, you know, he's got some decisions to make, but if it's somebody else and these are not his guys and he wants to fill the roster with his guys, does he hang on to Eddie Jackson who has not performed uh, in the last two plus seasons? And so much of that too, will be who's the defensive coordinator, what yeah. kind of defense
0: or if the head coach is defensive based what, what kind of defense are they going to run? And is, is Eddie Jackson, you know, do they, do they need a more physical, Safety, or both to be more physical safeties or, you know, or, but, but then also it it comes back to the Sean Desai thing we talked about earlier too. Like, you know, as the season goes on, can he adjust? Can he, can he reach Eddie Jackson the right ways? Can he motivate him in the right ways? Can he get him to do the things? Because like, of course, we have seen what Eddie Jackson is capable of, and yeah. obviously he had a much better supporting cast around him on the defense. And he's just—he's not going to have that this season. It's just—it's just not going to be there. But if he's a player that can only be great when there are great players around him, then he's probably not worth the salary that he's going to be. But if they can tap into whatever is is still hidden in there in Eddie Jackson, there's still time for Jackson to be better and for that equation to change. And some of that will be a reflection on the defensive coordinator, who is another kind of interesting discussion as a guy that you know does the next head coach consider keeping him around because Desai's already made it through three or four head coaches but if the defense doesn't turn it around from where they are right now that he's probably joining Vic Fangio in Denver or or Brandon Staley out in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. Answer me this. You watch the films. You 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 watch the all 22 uh and you right? You watch the all 22s? Yeah, of course. Okay. So, tell me this. Has Eddie Jackson always been the worst tackler? on the team and he was masking it with the interceptions and the returns that he had in 2017 or 2018. Or is it just recently now that, uh, you know, he doesn't have Adrian Amos doing all of the tackling back there that it's been exposed, that he is just a God awful tackle that, 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 you know, like I Lauren, I'm, I'm it's, it's fortunate that I know I can't afford to just buy, go out and buy a brand new TV. Cause that, t- that, that tackle, Attempt he made against um, uh, Kareem Hunt in the Cleveland game. Made me want to break my goddamn television. Um, he comes flying in with his head down and all Chubb, or, and all that uh, Hunt has to do is ole him. He literally goes flying into people on the sidelines. He goes untouched for the touchdown that pretty much broke the game uh, wide open. So you've been watching the film. Has Eddie Jackson always been this way? and we haven't noticed because he's been, you know, so electrifying and and scoring uh, touchdowns and getting interceptions or is this something that's kind of developed over the last couple of years
0: so in 2018, you know, the big Eddie Jackson season with all the interceptions and the and the returns and the touchdowns and just he was that electric playmaker. He led the Chicago Bears defense with 13 missed tackles that season. Pretty much <laughs> He played 14 games, so it equated to one a game. And every season since then, he had he had 13 that year, 14 in 2019, 14 in 2020, and he has six so far this season in what eight games because he did he missed and he he barely played against San Francisco, so really yeah, he had so six seven across games, the yeah. seven games. So he's on pace the same number of missed tackles he's had. Pretty much every year in his career, but I think the big difference for me is that when you look at Eddie Jackson's stat line this season, not only is the interception number been sitting at zero for the longest time, he has no PDs. There's not a single pass yeah. breakup stat yeah. line. Him, he's not touched the football. During a live play, I mean, he might have had – it's possible he had one that was negated by a penalty. I mean, if you really comb back through, that happens to everybody that, you know, it's just – there's a penalty somewhere else in the play, and so it doesn't count in the stat sheet. But regardless, he's not even getting his hands on the ball. There's no dropped interception. There's no diving pass breakups. There's no – those contested catch swat away type situations. He's just, for whatever reason – not getting to the football in addition to then missing the tackles. And so I, I think the the missed tackles thing is so much more bearable when he does create the turnovers in the Oh, the sure. Because past- those matter so much more. And then I also think because the level of defense around him is so much worse, the missed tackles are amplified because yeah. you can't trust everybody else to then – make the tackle for him and part of that was Adrian Amos being a very very solid tackler and to Sean Gibson not but the other cornerbacks as well Fuller and, and Mukamar were were usually pretty solid in that regard and Vildor and Duke Shelley and even Jalen Johnson has not been a bad tackler by any means and they've been pretty physical but there's still some misses there other players are also missing tackles at a higher rate so that Jackson's misses have bigger impacts now than they did in 2018 and you're, you're missing pretty much literally all of the positive plays in coverage for the most part.
1: Yeah, I mean well, you know, those that's the that's the thing. And and I've been hearing that as well from from Hogan Johns and, and other uh podcasts that I that I listen to that uh, you know, we've definitely missed Eddie Jackson the last couple of weeks in pass coverage against the 49ers, against the Steelers uh and things like that. It's like for all of his faults in uh, you know in in playing, you know, run defense or or being the the you know, the last man standing between him and the or the, the last hurdle between the, the defender and the goal line uh kind of thing. Um, you know, it it's 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 been hurting him because all of his highlights lately have been lowlights. You know, the the Nick Chubb or not Nick Chubb, I keep saying Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt uh thing. The that <laughs> that I'm going to try to knock the piss out of Devontae Adams and fail miserably on that big play. Uh, you know, he, he did make the tackle, though, Lauren. He he got uh Devontae Adams to have a sliver of his right foot step out of bounds. So it was only a 40-yard play instead of a 60-yard touchdown. So kudos to Eddie Jackson for making that quote-unquote tackle on that play. But it's like in the moment, he blew it. He just tried to, you know... If you've you're the last line of defense. You got to make that tackle, and he failed. And he failed before, you know, in the Cleveland game, uh, and things like that. And that's when Lance Briggs was coming out uh, and talking, you know, trash. Well, not talking trash, just criticizing uh, Eddie Jackson. He wasn't like putting him down or anything. He's just like, you got to make that play, and you haven't made that play. And when you've when you've been called into duty to have to make that play, you've blown it and miserably. Uh, in both occasions, and obviously Eddie Jackson took offense to it. Tried to bring up a tweet from like 2011 where it talked about Brent, Lance Briggs missing tackles uh, or something. It's like, yeah, but Briggs is probably going to the Hall of Fame, so maybe you don't want to start a Twitter fire with that guy. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's
0: it, it's so frustrating with the with the, the idea that Jackson has been a missed tackle machine, yeah, consistently throughout his career, and yet he still isn't so nonchalant about it being a problem, right? It's, he's like, he's like, well, wow, everybody knows how to tackle. And, you know, he's trying to focus on it and work on it. But like, dude, this is year six, your five, your five, year six. Like, this is not like some rookie who's just like, oh, he, well, he's, he's still got to learn how to tackle it at the, in the NFL because it's harder when you get to the NFL. But you've been in the NFL for five, six years now. Like, if if you haven't figured out tackling at this point, are you ever is he just yeah. gonna wake up at year seven and be like oh i know what to do now i just gotta be more physical i mean i i don't know like so do i should i expect sean decide this year of all years to hammer it home even though he's been on the coaching staff with him his entire career just I, i've sort of given up on eddie jackson being a consistent tackler and i more so just need him to be a more consistent playmaker to make up for the missed tackles
1: yeah yeah that's uh, definitely something um, somebody who definitely needs to to make sure that he's as healthy as possible, uh, you know, and he gets as much uh, good tape on tape in those, in these last eight weeks. Whether he's, you know, whether I don't know if if Ryan Pace would pull the trigger on on cutting him for salary cap reasons or or anything uh, like that, but uh, I would definitely be preparing myself for the for the scenario that I put into 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 theory a moment ago was that the new guy is not going to be invested in you like Ryan Pace would be the guy that drafted you, you know, developed you and gave you a second contract, made you the highest paid player at your position and, uh, and things like that. This, the new guy is going to be much more apt to cut you based on what he's seen from the outside than Ryan Pace would. So I would definitely be looking to try to put something positive on tape for a change uh, just so that, you know, God forbid the, the likely new guy coming in thinks I'm a valuable asset.
0: I will say, from a contract standpoint, it's not super easy to cut this off season. I think they would end up paying him. You could either it would either cost you fifteen million to keep him here or pay him eighteen and a half to to leave. So you'd be losing three and a half million dollars if you cut him. But can't help but wonder if somebody like Vic Fangio or Brandon Staley or even like. Joe Barry and Green Bay, I know that they would trade him to Green Bay, but somebody else from this coaching staff or this coaching tree of that scheme would not be interested in and maybe trying to trade for him and maybe you find a way for the Bears to eat some amount of that salary. But for now, it's, it's definitely still loaded early enough in this deal
1: that it's hard to get out of. Yeah, got to love the way Pace has structured his contracts, man. I mean, that's one of his great failures as a general manager is where he always kind of keeps – Like, apparently, like, we're going to be paying for Jimmy Graham for, like, another three seasons after he's not on the team after this season. So not only was it, uh, you know, based on, on how the Bears have been using him or not using him and all that kind of stuff, hanging on to him looks like one of the worst decisions ever, and then we restructure his contract so we add like two or three of those quote-unquote voidable years or whatever uh, on the end of it so we're going to be paying for Jimmy Graham until like 2025 even though he's not going to be on the team uh past this season uh and things like that uh having to cut Kyle Fuller because he was only going to make 14 million in salary but his cap hit was 21 million or something uh like that I mean he's done that all over the place to like where uh you know Khalil Mack is maybe he's on a decline and Uh, I never said, but his salary cap hit would be like $30 million if we tried to cut him or or trade him or something like that. I mean, that's one of his great failures as general manager, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I regret to inform you that Jimmy Graham will be paid for four years after his contract expires. So 39 going on 40-year-old Jimmy Graham will still be getting – I mean – He's not gonna be. It's not like uh, that. That Bobby Bonilla baseball contract where he's gonna literally get a new check every year. It's just he already got the money. The Bears have just spread out how they're gonna count it in their salary cap. But still, four years from now, he you're gonna look at the salary cap and say, Ah, oh, yep. There's a little over a million dollars still being paid out for Jimmy Graham from four years ago. <laughs> just, it's
1: yeah. I mean, and this is something that that Pace has done. And, and I was listening to the Hogan Johns podcast today on Wednesday. Or what's today? Today's Thursday. I'm sorry. And um, they had a guest on the show who was like, you know, he, he would definitely move on uh, from pay. I think it was Robert Mays is who was saying it, but that he would definitely move on from pace simply to get the guy away from our draft picks. Like he's so eager, not only to, uh, you know, like trade picks and, and things like that, but to... To move up in the draft, we're taking away assets that we, you know, that we have, like we've only got five picks going into this draft, but I'm sure Ryan Pace will find a reason to make a trade to move up from, you know, to, to trade 2023 draft choices to get 2022 guys uh, and things like that, rather than just, you know, doing the preparation and doing the proper scouting and seeing and be like an Ozzie Newsome. Let the draft come to you. Take the best player on the board at the time, or you know, or what best suits what you're looking for. And stop trading away our assets because general managers, as far as draft picks, want as many swings as possible with uh, with the draft. And and Pace uh, is so aggressive on draft day that he keeps trading all of our assets away.
0: Especially a general manager that has had so much success in the late rounds. He doesn't seem to value. I mean, I don't know. He loaded up on, on fifth and sixth round picks last year to take Mooney and Gibson and, and, who I mean a, a list of players and, and that was has sort of worked but I guess it's the early rounds that he just doesn't seem to to value as much and I guess if you know if he's gonna miss on the letter the Mitch Trubisky's and and partially in Chicago at least the Leonard Floyd's of the world then maybe I'm okay with training a future first round pick and it was certainly to get Justin Fields that's a different story but like I I, I don't like the idea of him pushing their salary cap into the future having issues and then also all the draft compensation going in the future because that's a really tough way to build a team long term. It's one thing when you're the Rams right now and you've yeah. got Matthew Stafford on the end of his career and you're like all in on this window so they trade all their future picks and they sign Odell Beckham and they trade they trade for Von Miller because we need to win a Super Bowl right now, but the bears have not really ever, or at least recently have not been in that position to where you're, you can get away with mortgaging your future. And so you have to build through the draft and build long-term and trading away picks to trade up for guys. Just generally speaking, has not consistently worked well for pace.
1: Yeah. I mean, even, even with tw- the 2021 draft where he was able to be aggressive and get his guys and didn't overdo it as far as mortgaging, uh, the picks of the future like that's what I was that's what I was thrilled about the Justin Fields trade I mean you and I have talked about it we talked about it prior to the draft about how I was just scared shitless he was going to give away the future to get Watson or God forbid you know because we're picking 20 because we did make the playoffs uh last year that we were going to have to move up into the top five to get uh, a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance or whoever the Bears fancied uh at the time and whoever we were trading with knows it and they were going to make us pay through the nose which is why I will worship at the at the mantle of Dave Gettleman until I die because he did not gut us the way that any other general manager probably would have wanted to uh, in that situation he got a one and a four uh, out of us a five this year and a one and a four next year and he was happy with that he was happy we get Justin Fields he gets, you know, some, he gets an extra first round pick. So if, and when they have to make the decision on Daniel Jones next year, they've got some draft assets to play with so they can move up in the draft. Not that they're probably going to need it with their current record uh, and everything, but you know, then it's like, that's what I was excited about because then we still had our second and third round pick in, you know, for day two, but then the bears move up, what, 13 spots, give up our third round pick to get Tevin Jenkins so here's it's like yeah Tevin Jenkins that was the guy I wanted all along but we gave up our third round pick that that was that's that was kind of a big deal that we did that and and gave uh and gave that up the only brilliance about the Tevin Jenkins thing was that he kept everything in 2021 so we weren't giving up anything in the future uh on that particular trade but it's like it was it was a bittersweet thing with the moves that he made even though Everyone was thrilled with the draft after it happened.
0: And I think it's, it's where you start to see how this roster has had to kind of be filled in with these veteran cheap signings in, in places sometimes where you'd like to have rookie players, or you've had to or, or young players that you've drafted in development at, at sort of like at wide receiver, or you have late round guys being thrust in there in the big roles because they just haven't been able to consistently get Everyone else where you're relying on, you know, late round cornerbacks and you know Travis Gibson playing a bigger role on, on the outside linebacker spot and a, a sixth round rookie running back that a lot of those have, have started to work out. And it has been a credit to Ryan Pace drafting well, but it, they've had to sort of rely on some of these these gems and these swing for the fences as opposed to like consistently loading up with second and third round, you know, those sort of middle tier guys. You've more had to rely on luck panning out that some of these picks have just worked out really well. And as we are sort of seeing some of them that aren't working out as well with like Shelley and Vildor, you're also paying some of the consequences there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's look ahead. We talked about the schedule a moment ago, first four games out of the gate. We got the Ravens at home, quick turnaround to another Thanksgiving game in Detroit home for the, uh, Arizona Cardinals. And then our annual, um, our annual national televised beating uh, in Lambeau. That's the first. That's the third quarter of the season as we come out of the bye. Um, I think we can all agree that we should win against Detroit, but the odds of us winning those other three games are not great.
0: Yeah, i I kind of feel pretty darn similar. I mean, it's three playoff teams, and then a team that you should beat so you know maybe they can pull something out of their butts and and justin fields can give you that hero performance like it it feels like with him against any team there's 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 always a chance yeah but it's gonna it's gonna definitely take a lot at least against
1: opponents of that quality you know what the funny thing is looking at those four games you know where i think our best chance to steal a win is lambo yeah, I just have a feeling that Justin Fields, national TV, Lambeau Field—it's just something about that is—it very much in the way that I had this eerie feeling about the Bears on Brett Favre jersey retirement night on Thanksgiving night in twenty fifteen, uh, kind of thing. It just had a weird feeling going into it. Even though when I first saw it on the schedule, I was like, "Well, there's a we're gonna get you know pile driven in that game." Are you kidding? There's no way the football gods let us walk away with a win. On that one. But it's just out of those four games coming off the bye against the Ravens, that's a nightmare waiting to happen. We go to Thanksgiving. We should get a win there. I don't think anybody would argue against that. Then another bye, you know, technically a mini bye, but another bye. We're coming home for Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Now, granted, it's an outdoor game in December. So maybe that works in our favor. But when was the last time that Bear Weather had anything to do with the Bears getting a win? Uh, In Soldier Field, then you go to Lambeau the week after that on national TV. It's like the familiarity, the fact that we should have beat him the first time, Aaron Rodgers and his bulletin board material about I own you uh, and things like that. It all could kind of factor in to the Bears stealing a win in Lambeau uh, week 14.
0: Yeah, I, I think that if they weren't playing the Ravens immediately out of the bye, I would circle that one as like, oh, well, you know, they took the Vikings to overtime, and like you said earlier, their defense has not been phenomenal, but the Bears out of the bye just kind of really is, is enough of an extra factor for me to, to feel not great about that one. But to your credit about the Packers-Bears game, I just remember, was it the – I think it was the opening drive of the first game against the Packers, for at least the Bears' opening drive where – You know, the running game, they were driving down there, and Fields connected on two or three nice passes in a row, and it was a touchdown drive, and it was like, oh. Like, it was a statement drive of, like— Yeah. It wasn't, like, a permanent idea of Justin Fields is here and here to stay because, of course, they lost and and had some other mistakes in that game. But, like, it all came together in that moment to where Packers fans were like, oh, crap. Like, is this— Is this what the future is going to be? So, like, the fact that it's it'll be him facing that team for the second time and he can look back at his first game and say, okay, here's what they were trying to do to me there, and here's what I need to do better, and I'd love to see how he's going to respond to that second chance.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, thinking back on that game, when I was doing my knee-jerk reactions uh, after that first quarter, the last thing that I said uh, on that first quarter knee jerk reaction is like there's a different vibe in Soldier Field because we were winning seven to three or something like that at the end of the uh, at the end of the first quarter. It's like we drove right down the field, uh, you know. Khalil Herbert's running the football well. Justin Fields hitting some really nice looking throws. I mean, uh, you know, for a team that struggles to score points, for us to come right down the field on the opening drive and put in the end zone against Green Bay, that was quite a statement. You know, with Justin Fields starting his first game against the Packers, uh, and all that kind of stuff. You know, like you said, it's his second bite at the apple uh, against Green Bay. He knows what's mis- what mistakes he made uh, in that game. You know, he's probably chomping at the bit. Probably the one thing he'll 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 like about the NFL is being able to get another chance to to play against the team a couple times a year you know, to have a second chance to, you know, probably licking his chops to play the Lions again, looking forward to, you know, two opportunities against the Vikings. And and, and you know he wants that one back against Green Bay uh, as well because it was like the first offensive drive of the game, and then we didn't score another touchdown till our last offensive drive uh, of the game pretty much. So, you know, it, it, the, 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 the inconsistencies in between is probably what he's looking to avenge, uh, in a second bite at the apple with Green Bay on national TV, and I just think we've seen so much improvement in his game since then that he he's going
0: to be able to come out and show them some things that they haven't seen, and he's not going to be moving so fast for him like it was the first time he played Green Bay.
1: And also, this is where that big stage Ohio State upbringing is benefiting him because on Monday night when the game was getting tense, it just didn't he did not at all appear to be like the moment was too big for him. He was not panicking, he was cool and calm, dude. I was in this you know, the playoff with uh I was played Alabama, you know, 10 months ago in the national championship game. I you know, I beat Trevor Lawrence in in New Orleans with a busted rib uh and all that kind of stuff. It's like I can handle this. I'm familiar with big situations and I've been able to come out of come out ahead. That game against the Packers is on national television. It's Sunday night football and you know, this is where Justin Fields makes his name. I just think that out of those first four games, if we're going to steal a win, I as funny as it is to say it could happen against Green Bay, that's where I'm looking at. It. It's a weird, it's a weird
0: feeling that you can point to Green Bay and be like, that one, that one might be a surprise win,
1: or to look at the Ravens, the Cardinals, and the Packers and be like, yep, the Packers, that's our best option there. Not the Cardinals or the Ravens, but the Packers. Yeah, that that team that rel- that you know regularly. Kicks our teeth in with the whole world watching. Yeah, that's the that's the game where I feel like we're best op, best uh, uh you know able to to steal a win, uh in those first uh, four games coming off the bye, and then the the, the fourth quarter, uh, we're sandwiched you know the the um, Vikings on Monday night on the road day after Christmas against the Seahawks, very hostile environment there, home for the Giants in our home finale, and then on the road. Stop me if you've heard this before, Lauren. We're we're finishing the season on the road at Minnesota, so those are the last four games.
0: Absolutely unheard of end of that season. That's just going to be weird. <laughs> no, but th- those feel like uh, dare I say four.
1: Winnable games. It does, and I I mentioned that before. Like, it would not shock me at all for us to be four and zero, which would be which would paint us in a very weird position at the end of the season. Especially if Justin Fields is like really getting hot at the end of the season, we finish on a four game uh, winning streak, and or actually five, because if we beat Green Bay, that's the last of those four games, and then we sweep the last four. We won five in a row. At the end of the season, including a game on the road uh, against the Packers, do we do we run it back in 2022? It'd be like, oh no, we've done it to ourselves. We're going to do it all over again next year. In that scenario, the
0: team would finish nine and eight, and that's probably a playoff team. Oh boy, and that's probably keeping Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace's job if they can go to and say, hey, we won five in a row, including beating Green Bay. I mean, that's going to get. George and Ted fired up. That's all they need to hear is beat Green Bay and and win games and make the playoffs and get fan bases excited so they can sell tickets and go to our new stadium. That's that's a problem solved. Now if they if they lose to Green Bay and still win the last four in a row, and then you're eight and nine if if you missed the playoffs at eight and nine but you won the last four in a row is that the hey we found the momentum we got it all figured out we just need to come back next year keep everything the same I mean you know or try and keep as much continuity as possible because see it was just starting to work and now we can really take it up to the next the next notch from here
1: yeah that's that's what kind of has me worried would the recency bias of a four game winning streak at the end of the season influence uh you know, George and and Ted to be like, okay, we've seen enough. Let's, let's run it back one more time. Everybody's on the last year of their contract. So it's do or die for sure in 2022. Let's, let's see what happens uh, kind of thing. So, you know, and and it's, it's because you and I, we're both the same. We've, we've had this conversation several times. Neither one of us is going to sit here and say, I want the bears to lose. I want the Bears to lose because screw that, dude. I do not want to watch my team lose all the time. This four game winning streak sucks. No matter how well Justin Fields has been playing, we're still losing. You know, it's like I don't want my team to lose, I want them to win. It's like Nagy getting fired is the silver lining to these losses. Uh, And everything, but we still have to suffer through these losses and then wait another, you know, God forsaken six, seven months to see the team play again and see what could happen uh, and everything to hell with that. I want to see my team win, but at the same time, winning could get us back to where we don't want to be.
0: That's why it's been the sort of nice middle ground of like Justin Fields plays well. So it feels like a win against the Steelers, even when they lose, because that at least still gets you closer to potentially a a regime change and then a brighter long-term future. But you're not actively rooting for them to lose. You're just actively rooting for Justin Fields to play as well
1: as he can. Right. Right. (laughs) So, you know, looking at it, do you, do you think eight and nine, seven and 10, six and 11? What, where do you think we're realistically going to land at the end of the season.
0: Yeah. I, 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 th- I think they're going to for sure lose three out of the next four. They'll beat Detroit and, and lose to the Ravens, Cardinals and Packers. I, I don't think they quote unquote should lose to the Vikings, Seahawks or giants. And there's two Vikings games in there. So like they, they should go for, no, but I, I just feel like that's not a given where this team has proven to us over the last four seasons or whatever. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say maybe they go three and one in that last stretch. So one and yeah. three and then three and one is is four and four added to the last eight games of the season, which puts you at seven and ten. That feels about right. I mean I could see them yeah. at eight and nine. I, I don't I don't quite see them going the full nine and eight above five hundred. I think three and six is just too much of a setback to overcome to get over five hundred unless yeah. you know something drastic changes. Everyone stays healthy and defense gets back to really thriving and then Justin Fields plays really well, the running game plays well. like, like they have they do seem to have close enough talent to be able to do something here. Not to be a Super Bowl <laughs> contender, but to, to maybe climb back into that fringe playoff discussion. But yeah. I, I just think we've we've seen enough of how Matt Nagy teams have tended to operate over the years, to kind of know that that's probably not going to happen. And fool me once, shame on me, et cetera. Seven right. and ten is about where I land.
1: I'm I I I completely agree. I'm I'm thinking one and three over the next four games, and then you know three and one. I'm I'm looking at that Seahawks game for whatever reason going on the road, Pacific Northwest, hostile environment. Russell Wilson should be you know back in back in step uh, by that point. You know, coming off the finger injury. Uh, and everything so uh yeah i I like three and one, I like sweeping the vikings i like uh I like three and one at the end, a two game winning streak against the giants and the the vikings to 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 close it out versus uh winning five in a row so we can bring everybody back, and we're just cursing our way through the off season to be like, God damn it." <laughs> like it was fun while it lasted but now we got to do this all over again when you know before 2022 even starts we're looking ahead to 2023 because we know they're just going to screw it up
0: that's what it felt like after last season yes yeah exactly yeah it's just uh, you know how this this franchise tends to go I mean it just I don't know maybe certainly Justin Fields broke from the mold of what we thought how this franchise tends to go so maybe you know, maybe there's reason to believe things, things can be different, but it's hard to, (laughs) it's hard to have existed through the last few decades of this and then feel like they've all of a sudden got it all figured out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just, we just can't have nice things, Lauren. That's all. So no doubt. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and close it there. And, uh, I don't know what's come over us, Lauren. We, we kept it under two hours, uh, this time. So it's just, uh, you know, I, I just can't uh, pull anything out of my ass to keep the conversation going. I think we've covered everything I wanted to talk about, so I think we're good uh, at this point. Um, you know, great as always to have you on the show, man. I always love talking to you. Uh, where can uh, where can my listeners listen to you?
0: Yeah, hopefully you'll be more often. You'll be able to listen to me not so stuffed up in the head. You know, fortunately, it's not a. Uh, <laughs> it's not a, a big C situation at this point in terms right. of the, uh, you know, the big one right now, this is right. just a, a regular head cold, but I, I, most of the time I sound better over on the lockdown bears podcast five days a week. It's pretty much on all podcast platforms, plus video version on YouTube as well. And on Twitter at Cox sports
1: one. Awesome. So that, uh, be going over there with your McDonald's and your built bars and, uh, your, your gas discounts and things like that. So, uh, <laughs> It's always good stuff. Listen so to you, you know. I you know, I give you I give you credit, man, because I do my reads ahead of time and insert them uh into the podcast. The way that you keep folding in the uh transitions into it. I don't know if I could do it if I had to do it the way you guys do. I don't know how good I'd be at it. I'd just be like, yeah, I'll just read this blankly into the camera or whatever. I would get so lazy with it. So I I admire you for your for your uh for your for your toughness in handling uh handling that and uh, and everything it's a, it's a source of frustration for me
0: uh, you know it, we got to do it so you might as well have fun with it right
1: yeah yeah i mean i, I remember trying to have fun with the um Bluetooth ads <laughs> oh man that was that was tough to try to talk about boners on my show uh and everything but uh but any- it's
0: easier with Justin fields right I mean, that yeah. that would makes it easy
1: of course of course so but uh, anyway, Lauren, thanks so much uh, uh, for joining us. We'll see you back in, uh, in January, hopefully. And, uh, well, yeah, it's not we're not going to the playoffs, dude. We're not going to the Super Bowl or anything. We'll talk to you in January, uh, and uh, maybe we'll be talking about a regime change or, or, or anything like that, and, 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 or we can sit here like we did a year ago uh, and, you know, in January and be like, Jesus Christ, that press conference, could that have been more of a disaster? than it was i mean how embarrassing you know just like oh god these guys actually mean this they mean every word that they're saying right now it's so embarrassing so maybe we get to talk about another one of those disastrous press conferences uh in january when when you have you back on the show man
0: it would be very very bears and i expect nothing less thanks for having me
1: all right we'll talk to you again soon As always, want to thank my good friend, Lauren Cox, for coming back on the show. Love getting a chance to uh, talk to him. Look forward to having him back on at the end of the year for the full year in review uh, episode that we'll go through and uh, pretty sure that that's going to be happening not long after our January 9th uh, season finale against the Minnesota Vikings uh, and looking forward to 2022 and uh, maybe we'll have our own Black Monday uh, at that point or, or you know maybe the justin fields progress will be enough for uh for ted and george to want to run it back one more time and make us all hate life for another offseason so um but uh you know it's it was it was fun talking to uh lauren playing through the scenarios getting someone else's opinion uh on the matter cuz you know as uh, as you guys know when when we talk to other people on this show they're almost they're almost always from the other team, so talking to another Bears fan, getting another Bears fan's thoughts and opinions on uh, on how the Bears are doing and 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 whatnot is is always a good uh, good time uh, for me. So, but that is going to close the book on the first half of the season. No Bear game this weekend, unfortunately. So it'll be a long, boring Sunday for us all. Uh, but we will be back uh, next Thursday. Uh, well, actually, I should say because there's no. Um, no bear game on Sunday, no bear up, bear down, no um, no deep dive review on Monday and Tuesday. So we won't be back until Thursday when we're ready to preview uh, Bears-Ravens for week number 11. And our friend Kevin Ostriker from the Locked On Ravens podcast will be back to help us preview uh, the matchup. Um, we'll talk about... Uh, the Ravens and their their ups and downs on defense, even though Lamar Jackson's having an outstanding season, we'll talk about this Thursday night game against the Dolphins, where they did a pretty good job bottling him up. The Ravens lost twenty two to ten uh, in this ball game to see what the Dolphins did that uh, you know may open up some eyes across the league and and help uh, help other NFL teams solve the Lamar Jackson puzzle. Uh, you know, wh- were the Ravens exposed or did they just have a bad night uh, against the Dolphins? that and uh you know so much more to get ready for bears ravens at soldier field uh in a couple of weeks so that's gonna do it for the show guys thanks so much for listening we'll see you back here next thursday to preview bears ravens for week number 11 and until then my name is larry d and this has been the bears talk underground